Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to get fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. I know how to ensure I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you still owe? The man replied, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Well, how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true, the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? If you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Peace be with you. It's good to see you all. My name's Jonah, and uh, I like this passage that we just read uh, because it makes people upset and confused, uh, which is one of the ways I like to have fun. Um, before we get to that, a, a couple of uh, quick notes. Uh, if you want to pray, I hope some of you pray. We've got a group of people destroying this stage after the service and building a new one with like really cool couple hundred-year-old wood someone gave to us. And, you know, the idea, and we're going to finish by next Sunday. Amen? Amen. 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 Uh, so pray for, uh, like, no uh, nails through hands and stuff like that. And regardless of what it looks last, next week, be really encouraging to Justin, okay? <laughs> um, and then next Sunday, this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year, uh, Groundhog Day is coming up, one of my personal favorite holidays. Uh, I'll be watching the Bill Murray movie on repeat. Uh, next Sunday is Not Your Seat Sunday. And if you're like, what in the world is that? You ever know how like church people get all in a tizzy about their specific seat? Like, this is where we sit. And even back in the day, you used to rent out booths. They didn't take offerings. You had to like pay for your seat in church. Uh, we're just trying to mix it up. So if you're like, what do I do? Uh, just sit somewhere different next week and see if I look the same from over there as I do from over here or, or vice versa. Just flip-flop it. And there may be an amazing surprise next week. I'm not sure. We had a member who had just a brilliant idea. And uh, yeah, come and see. Uh, and there's other stuff going on that you can check out on your bulletin. Ash Wednesday's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, so check out your bulletin. And uh, if you're new or visiting 
fill out a Connect card if you have questions or if there's a way that we can come alongside and serve you. So we're talking about the parables of Jesus, and in this first few weeks, specifically what Jesus has to say about money. The book of Luke in general is kind of a discipleship guide. Uh, the, the middle chapters in particular, what's it look like to follow Jesus? And he gives all these practical examples throughout, and he's dealing with our stuff here. And uh, the story this morning uh, begins with a man. And uh, I've, you know, I've read it a lot the last couple of weeks. He sounds like a Walter to me. I don't know why, but I just envision this guy being named Walter. And Walter works for a, like, some kind of large food distribution company, and um, Wally's been slacking off at work. Maybe you've had this experience before. You think you can cut corners and no one's going to catch on. And he comes in one Monday morning and gets the email that says, hey, the boss wants to talk with you Friday at 4 p.m. Uh, anybody ever have the privilege of getting one of those emails? Or getting the message, the memo, if you're a little bit older? Yeah, everyone knows what's coming, right? I've got a couple days to work for free, and then I'm going to get fired on Friday. So Wally uh, feels the panic. He knows the X-Man is coming, and he... <laughs> This passage is so funny. You should go read it some more when you get home because we only have so much time. Uh, but he says stuff like, well, I can't go dig ditches. <laughs> like, he, does, he can't do manual labor. He's not going to go beg. Uh, he doesn't have marketable skills, right? He kind of had this one sales gig and he blew it. And so he's trying to think of how he can land on his feet. And again, maybe you've been through this. You see, you see what he says in verse four? He says, I know how to ensure I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Like he's, he's worried about what happens after he loses the job. After the income is gone, where am I going to stay? What am I going to do? He's getting his resume together and he's going to try to work his connection. So he calls his first big client. I think it's the Olive Garden because he says they owe 800 gallons of olive oil. <laughs> like, imagine how much olive oil that is. What are you doing that you used? Eight? It had to be an Olive Garden or whatever the first century equivalent of it. I owe 800 gallons of olive oil, the client says. And Wally says, hey, man, just make it 400, okay? He cut the bill in half, 50% discount. It's amazing. Then he calls Krispy Kreme. Uh, they owe 1,000 bushels of wheat. That's 60,000 pounds of wheat. I didn't know who else would use 60,000 pounds with Krispy Kreme. And he gives them another huge discount. He says, oh, you owe 1,000? Just cross it out and make it 60,000 pounds, uh, or make it 800 bushels instead of 1,000 bushels. Another huge discount. Everyone's happy. And we all know how this goes, right? You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Somebody gives you a deal, and then you like that person more, you're more inclined to give them the hookup. Like used car salesmen always find a way to make it feel like you're getting this incredible deal, and then you tell your friend about what a great deal they got. And so here's what Wally is trying to do. Maybe he's trying to get into the donut business, but he's just trying to have something to do when he's done. He wants to have a, a place to stay, a place to sleep when he knows that he's gonna lose his job. And to be clear, the story is from the Bible, right? And this guy is, the word we call for what he's doing here is lying and or stealing, right? Uh, and so for the good church people, this is usually where we expect Jesus to come in and give this great moral lesson about honesty, accept responsibility for your situation, work harder, or something like that. Some big moral lesson against lying and dishonesty, um, this is, Wally's boss catches word of what's going on. This is why you just got to love Jesus. He's just so comfortable making everyone uncomfortable. Uh, so here, Wally's boss catches what's going on, and here's the boss's reaction. From the mouth of Jesus, uh, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. 
It kind of reminds me of like the Ocean's Eleven movies or uh, I just saw Logan Lucky. Like they're these heist movies, you know, where people have all these in-depth schemes and we're good Christian people, so we're not necessarily in favor of them robbing the Bellagio or whatever, stealing $20 billion of people's retirement pensions. Or We don't necessarily like what they did, but you love watching them do it, right? You're really impressed with how they did it. What's going on here is the rich man isn't all of a sudden like, Wally, what a guy. I'm really happy that he ripped me off. He's, that's not what he's saying. Um, he's not happy about getting ripped off, stolen from, lied to, but he's just downright impressed with the way Wally did it. Uh, he's impressed that Wally pulled it off, that he's shrewd is the word used here. That's the old-fashioned word for a lot of us. It simply means creative resourcefulness, uh, figuring it out. You could think of scheming. The, the rich man, the boss, is impressed with how Wally pulled this off, how clever he was. Uh, and there had to have been a moment here where the crowd was confused, Right? Jesus is giving this lesson on money, and he talks about a rich man being impressed with how clever the guy who just stole from him was. Um, Is the big lesson here that Wally is the good guy? Should should all of you go to work on Monday and start stealing from your boss and giving that money to your friends? What's going on here? Um, Well, the the parables of Jesus uh, are always aimed at the heart, and the heart in the world of the Bible, that's the place of your deepest loyalty. Uh, it's the place of your deepest allegiance. It's where your desires come from, uh, your deep longings. It's kind of the, the engine of your life. And Jesus' parables are always aimed at exposing our deep desires, uh, our, our deep loves. And he uses stories because most of us, when we get called out straight away, we get defensive and we get angry. We get into kind of uh, self-preservation mode. So Jesus tells these stories to kind of bring us along, and then at some point he'll wake us up and open our eyes, and maybe we can see ourselves. This is why in the parables, Jesus will so often use a bad guy as a good guy, or as someone who would have been seen as an outsider, or despised, or looked down upon. Or a couple weeks ago, he talked about the Samaritan, a kind of person who is the butt of jokes and an outsider, and he lifts him up to be the hero. Here, he sets up this story about a dishonest. I mean, it's different in your Bibles, but the parable of the shrewd manager, the parable of the dishonest worker, like there's no spinning what this guy did was lying and, and deceitful, and yet Jesus is, is using him as some kind of an example to expose something in our hearts. He's not saying Wally is the hero here, or go be like Wally, Uh, he's trying to shine a light on our own hearts. And and this is where I've been praying for a week now that all of us would have the courage to receive something here, uh, to to maybe hold off getting defensive for 10 or 15 minutes, especially if you're the kind of person that walks in with a ton of skepticism about the church, talking about money. Uh, So here we go. This is what Jesus says. This is the light that he's trying to shine. He says, the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. This is a pretty heavy indictment for all of us. So first, children of this world are people who don't know God, uh, people who aren't Christians, people who aren't in the kingdom of God. And all they have is this world, the, the stuff 
their material stuff, their money, their jobs, whatever. The children of the light are God's people, citizens of his kingdom. And what Jesus is saying is, you guys, check out Wally here. Look at how hard he worked for his hope. Look how clever he was, how many risks he took, how creative he was to secure his hope. He was worried about his future, a place to stay, his job. So he went and did something about it. And Jesus is saying, look at how hard people of this world work for their kingdom and compare that to how hard my people work for my kingdom. And back then, as well as today, I would say the results aren't too impressive. Uh, So often, people of this world are more creative, more resourceful, more persistent in pursuing the perishable things of this world, the perishable fleeting things of this world, than the church is at pursuing life with God and advancing his mission. This is an indictment on all of us. Because do you see what Jesus is poking at here? If the word shrewd is tripping you up, think of scheming. Jesus is arguing that all of us are schemers. um, And our scheming reveals what it is that we really love. Uh, We get clever and resourceful when we want something bad enough. And just think about how you do this. Think for a minute. How have you schemed for something you really wanted? Maybe it was when you proposed and you planned this elaborate engagement. Uh, Maybe for this car that you really wanted, hypothetically speaking, as I bought two cars on the internet in the last year. Uh, Or maybe it was to get into this house that you really wanted. Or maybe it was to find the school for your daughter. It's just so amazing to me when people will be like, man, we've been praying and praying for this thing and there's no open door, so we're just going to put off on that ministry. And then it's like, man, I really wanted this Xbox. And so I sold two pairs of shoes and I picked up an extra job. And then I was able to trade this guy for this thing. And then it's like, I put in two months worth of effort to get this Xbox because that's what I really wanted. Maybe you went on Restoration Hardware and found all this beautiful furniture, and then you spent a month on Etsy figuring out how to remake it yourself from Goodwill Furniture, whatever it is. All of us, when it comes to something we really want and we really love, we find a way to make it happen. Everybody does it. And so just take a moment, and I hope by now you're like, oh yeah, that is, that is what I did. Um, And I'm not saying that that thing has to be a bad thing or a sinful thing, but just what is something that you really wanted and that you've worked really hard to make it happen? The story that Jesus is telling here is intended to show you, help you see what are the things you really want. And this is why Jesus sets up the story around money and why he talks about money so often. And he puts it real plainly elsewhere. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. The the things that you scheme for reveal the deep desires of your heart, the the places that uh, you put your hope in, the longings that you have. And so (laughs) here's where some of the exposing begins to happen. Like you can look really good at church, right? You can, you can show up dressed well, 
clean shaven or whatever it is you do. You wash the car on Saturday and you come in and you serve at the ministry and you're smiling and you know how to like praise the Lord and brother, you know, talk the language. You can look good at church. You can talk a big game at community group and all these weird Christian languages. I'm just going through a, a season of uh, anxiety and I need a hedge of protection. And I'm just crying out to the Lord, you know, like using all the words that make people be like, wow, what amazing faith you have. You can have impeccable theology and impress everybody with all the big books that you've read, but your dollars don't lie. It, if you wanna know what someone loves, log into their bank account. Originally, I said check their checkbook, but the under 30 crowd probably doesn't know what a checkbook is, you know? <laughs> If you want to know what someone loves, follow their money. Your dollars are a blinking neon sign that point to whatever it is you love. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you loved me, you would be as clever for my kingdom as Wally was for his job. So Jesus talks about money because it's the clearest window into all of our hearts. And, and the deeper lesson that he's trying to help us see here is you don't have a, a money problem, you have a love problem. You have a heart problem. So Jesus poses this problem that is at its core about our hearts, our deepest loyalties, our deepest allegiance. He poses it real simply at the very end of this story. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. N Notice he doesn't say like, you can't have nice stuff and say you're a Christian. Or, I don't know, you can't have a cool house and serve God. He's not saying that. The issue is love. You see, I can't love God and love money. I can't be devoted to God and devoted to money. So please hear me now, if you're one of those skittish church money people, the issue is not money. Jesus is not after building the kingdom payroll here or something. It's love and devotion. That is what is going on in this story. It's about love and devotion. That is what God is after, your love and your devotion. We put so much effort into our worldly lives, how we look, what we wear, what we drive, uh, where we live, and put so little effort into our eternal lives. And most of us feel guilty about that and think we need to try harder. And I'll be honest, I have yet to meet someone who is able to work their way out of guilt, like to, to feel so guilty that I had to work harder. And then all of a sudden, because of how hard I worked, I stopped feeling guilty. The, the problem isn't so much as you're bad at Christianity, okay, um, or that you just need to work harder. Your problem is you don't love God, <laughs> which should probably feel like a more intense problem, okay? Um, most of us love our stuff and love the, th the things, the, the stuff of this world. Simply put, we just like that more than God. Uh, we spend more time searching the internet for that stuff or trying to find the right deal than we do uh, trying to find a quiet place to be still before the Lord because we're so desperate to hear his voice again. What are the indications of some of this stuff? Because Jesus is saying, you can't have it both ways, okay? Uh, I remember for a long time, I was wondering, what kind of Christian job could I do and still make a ton of money that I could have an extra house to park my fancy cars in so that people could still think I'm a good Christian because I drive an old car? I, I wanted one foot 
and, and I still kind of do, to be honest. Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say you love God and you are enamored and love your money. What are the indications? Well, just think, how stressed out are you about your stuff? How do you react when someone, you're in the Kroger parking lot and someone opens up their car door and dings your door? Or when the sump pump goes out? Or when you drop your phone and it shatters? Or when someone asks you to borrow a tool and it comes back six months later covered in rust? Or wh- How stressed out are you about your stuff? How consumed are you by your finances? There's fascinating studies about the effects of people making more money versus spending more. And people feel far greater pain at losing money than they get joy from making money. The, the, the point is, is most of us are far more scared about losing our stuff than we are about gaining more of it. How much time do you spend thinking about your possessions or what you could get or what you could lose? How does the amount of time and energy you put towards those things compare to your participation in the mission of God? In the, like... If you're the least bit awake spiritually, emotionally, like that should be a pretty solid kick in the gut, that thought. How does the amount of time I spend scheming for this stuff that I want compare to my degree of participation in the mission of God? So I think Jesus would have all of us feel a degree of indictment here. Um, Maybe you feel the weight of having to drum up love for God. Because I'll tell you, uh, you can't just flip a switch and be like, you know what, today I decided to love God. I just chose, and now here I am, deeply, madly in love with God. If the problem is a love problem, which I would be happy to argue with you for hours that it is, uh, that's a pretty... That's a pretty tough pill to swallow. There is no love God switch that you flip, and there's no magic word that I can say to you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh! I love God now. Um, So here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, your money shows how much you love God, okay? And if you're curious, do I really love God or not? And I have all the right theological confessions. I encourage you to look at your bank statements uh, or go back and review 2017. If you showed a stranger your 2017 tax returns and just said, based on my tax returns, what would you say I love? Jesus says, show me your money and I'll show you your love for God. And at the same time, kind of flipping it upside down, Jesus is trying to show us that your money is also the simplest way to develop love for God. So money both reveals how much you love God and is one of the simplest, most 101 ways that you cultivate love for God. Because So the story isn't just an indictment. It's also an invitation, a new perspective, a new, uh, a new picture, uh, a new understanding of what our money is for and how we can use it for the sake of loving God. And it's all so simple and so beautiful, okay? It's a, it's a wonderful how-to in learning how to love God. So a couple of real quick principles here. First, Jesus is saying, if you want to love God, invest your money eternally. He's not just saying, if you love God, you would invest your money eternally. He's saying, if you want to love God, then this is what you should do with your money. So listen, if you can see a disconnect between what you confess and how you live, right? What you believe and how you feel. A great example here at Sojourn, I know not, maybe not everyone would agree with this, but like just by a quick round of quiet amens, because I know I'm not going to ask too much of you guys. 
Who here would agree that God is in control? Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. Like, that's one of those things that we'll like burn the house down over here, okay? God is in control, amen. And we sing about it and we memorize verses about it. And then you say, how are you doing? Man, it's like, I can't sleep at night. I'm so anxious about work. I'm so stressed out. I'm so guilty all the time. I just don't know what I'm, and it's like, okay. So, so there's, something's been revealed, right? What, are we, what do we learn there? there? A lot of us know something and we live differently. Or maybe a less uh, theologically tense example. Who here would confess that God loves us? Amen. Okay, we got a little bit better that time. Uh, God loves us, right? How many of us walk around feeling so unloved by God, so ostracized, so out of place, uh, like these promises are hollow? So if you see that, okay, that disconnect between what I believe and how I live, uh, you have to get your body involved, okay? You have to embody these truths physically to bridge that gap between your head and your hearts. So if you want to learn that God loves you more, you have to find a way to get your body involved in the love of God. Or if you want to learn that God is sovereign, you have to put yourself in a place where God must be sovereign for this to work out. This is what Jesus is saying. Uh, He says, when you see that disconnect, don't go pray about it. He says, go to work. He says, "Get, get active, get your body involved not just your brain or your prayer life, but physically get involved uh, because getting your body involved bridges that head-heart gap. So look at what he says in verse nine. Here's the lesson, which this is important because Jesus very rarely does this, right? Very rarely says, okay, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. And we're like, what? What's he talking about? Here's what he's saying. Uh, worldly resources only last so long. This, world, this word worldly, you could translate it as untrue. Maybe your translation will say unrighteous. And it's not a moral category. It's not saying this wealth is sinful or wicked or evil. It's just saying it won't last. Uh, it's temporary. It's fleeting. And so Jesus is saying, use your temporary resources for the benefit of eternal realities. Use your temporary resources for the benefit of eternal realities. So, Put it real simply, use your stuff for the sake of relationships. Because if if you're in the church, if if your trust is in Christ, you're part of an eternal family, a forever fellowship. We will be in eternal communion with one another um, for all time. If you want to love God, start by using your money for the sake of relationships. Use your money to make this place more like the kingdom of God. And by this place, I mean whatever place God has placed you, your neighborhood, your city, your circle of friends. Uh, And this is where it gets real spiritual, right? Like pick up the tab at dinner. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Buy a friend a random present to let them know you're thinking of them, you love them. Replace someone's sump pump. Um, In the span of about 12 months, we had our sump pump go out, uh, our hot water heater go out, our furnace go out, and our HVAC go out, like, which I think is almost everything mechanical in the house, right? And you would be amazed how many people in the church know something about sump pumps, air conditioners, furnaces, and hot water heaters. Uh, it's, it's amazing the family resources that we have here. If you use your money to invest in your eternal relationships, you will learn to love God. And I'm, I'm going to unpack this a, a little bit more. Um, so the principle is use what you have to bless your community. If you want to love God, use your temporary stuff to better your eternal relationships. Um, 
And so where do we, what's this actually look like? Do we all just go out and buy sump pumps? Well, the lesson that Jesus says here is you start small. Look at what he says in verse 10. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in big ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Start small. Uh, in other words, don't worry about changing the world just yet. If, if you want to love God, be faithful in the small ways. And this begins with your money. Um, so if, again, if, if you want to love God and you're struggling to drum up affection for God, get your body involved. What's one of the ways to get your body involved? Use your money. Um, so what's it look like to be faithful with your money? First, you have to see that your stuff belongs to God. Um, and I would encourage you to maybe start paying a little bit more attention to the scripture verses that we read and that we pray through every week during our giving because every week we're affirming that what we have comes from God. The Bible says everything belongs to God. He's given it to you. He's given you your ability to make wealth. He's decided if you would be rich or poor. <laughs> like, so if you got a lot or you got a little, like that's what God has given to you. So it belongs to God. You are a steward. You won't get very far in faithfulness with money if you're not willing to believe that it belongs to God. If you see it as his, you'll use it for what he wants. And if you want us to love God, start giving your money away. So <laughs> this is really stunning. If you've been a surgeon for a while, you're about to get uncomfortable because you're going to be like, are we going prosperity gospel? And I would say, kind of. <laughs> not really. Um, but I would, I would also just say, like, if your theology gets in the way of the Bible, I'm going to argue your theology is the problem here, okay? God forbid the Bible gets in the way of our theology. Um, so first, an argument from experience. And this is absolutely stunning to me. Um, I've, I've been trying to find examples, and I, I just can't. I have never known somebody who prioritized giving to the mission of God or who said, you know, like, even when we're broke, 10% of every check is first place it goes, before it goes to savings, before it goes to my debt, I'm giving to the Lord. Uh, someone who prioritized giving that way. I have never seen someone say that and then come back a year or two down the road, like, y'all, I need you to pray for me because I don't know how I'm gonna pay for these bills. Um, I, don't, I don't know how I can afford vacation. Uh, and <laughs> what do you do with that? Thanks. I've yet to see someone who says, I will give, and that is my priority with my money. My money belongs to the Lord. And the whole Bible has the story of God saying, hey, your first fruits, your best stuff, bring it home. Bring it to me. I've never seen someone live that way and go in need. Um, so listen, here's the harshest way I know how to say this with a bunch of love. Um, <laughs> that was off script, but I really mean it, Okay. Listen, you do not love God if you do not give. Um, and as a quick preface, if you're waiting for like the thermometer to come out, our budget is in beautiful shape. Like, we just paid cash for all of these renovations. We're operating out of budget surplus right now, which is a huge testament to God's grace. If you've been here for a few years, like we don't need your money, Okay. And we've been saying that for years, even when we had no idea how we were going to pay our bills. God is not so much interested in your money. He's not interested in a guilt trip to like try to drum up the church bill or the church budget. 
He's interested in your love and your devotion. And that's why we implore you every week to give because giving fuels your love for God. And this is, you guys, it's everywhere in the Bible. Uh, Jesus talks about money more than he talked about any other topic. Uh, back in the Old Testament, in the, in the book of Malachi, or I like to, this is my favorite Bible joke, the Italian prophet Malachi. Then uh, <laughs> there's never a good segue to use that joke, so I just force it in. Um, the people in the book of Malachi are all messed up. They're all drowning in sin, and they have the college prayer moment. You know what I mean? Like the, the Saturday morning prayer when you've had too much to drink the night before, and you're like, I'll never do it again, God. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Like, they have this amazing prayer. Oh, Lord, we want to repent. We want to come home. And God's like, great. If you want to repent, start giving to the temple again. If you want to show me that you're really sorry, start giving. And and listen to what he says. He says, if you start giving, okay, if you repent, and what does real change look like? What does a, a shift of heart look like? It will look like you giving to the mission of God. If you repent and start giving, this is what I will do. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And this is where everyone is like, that sounds like the prosperity gospel. And I'm like, I don't know. It sounds like the Bible to me. You, you know what I mean? And can you abuse that stuff? Yeah, and I'm gonna talk about how you can do that here in a second. But if God in the Bible says, test me on it, go for it. And I have never found someone who's like, God was a liar. Here's the invitation, okay? And again, we're talking about how you start small. Are you anxious about your money? Do you feel like you don't have enough? Do you see the gap between your head and your heart? On a positive side, do you want to start loving God more and experiencing the power of his kingdom more? Then start giving. And I don't know how else to say this. It feels like this is what God is saying. Start giving, I dare you. God invites you to test him. So start small, which I think should just mean give to your church. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. We've got all these young people coming and that we praise God for that and a whole generation that's gonna grow up. And you realize how like almost everything feels free to the next generation? Netflix feels free. Uh, Twitter is free. Facebook is free. Snapchat is free. And Bobby and I were talking, he's like, man, do you think people think church is free? Like this just happens? No, no it doesn't just happen. There's people carrying this load to, to make this happen. So if you wanna figure out a place to start, start here and like, I don't know. There's amazing things happening here. I think it's a, a good place to give. But wherever, give to your church, give to the mission of God. Prioritize it. Prioritize it. The first dollars. I know. I know the sting. I know when my wife and I were living in a horse stall and said $50 a month was our tithe every month. And we're like, we're never going below 10%. And man, those checks, you feel that when you're that poor. Uh, prioritize it. And then prepare, okay? Prepare for your blessing. Uh, do you see what Malachi said? Prepare for the Lord to do something. And this is where the prosperity people get screwed up, okay? So I like that, prepare for your blessing. I, that's Joel Osteen saying. Here's where he screws it up. Because what they're saying is, sow that seed of faith, and then it'll be repaid to you 10 times. So if you give $1,000 to the church, prepare to get $10,000 back. And that's the mistake. If you prioritize your giving, um, I've just found that God never leaves us hanging. And, and that will mean materially, okay? Um, 
Like people who prioritize their giving, suddenly a neighbor has a sump pump that they're willing to let you borrow. Like stuff will happen. Stuff will come up. A check will come in the mail and you can pay for that bill. Like stuff will happen materially and you'll be glad for it. Um, But the blessing that you receive in this is far greater because remember, Jesus is trying to show us how we cultivate love for God. Um, The blessing you'll receive is that you'll come to love God in deep, life-changing ways. Here's something I found absolutely true in the Christian life. The only way to learn how to trust God is to start trusting God. And what does that mean? You have to do things where you need God to show up. Uh, So you can only experience God as loving you and providing for you when you're in a position of need. And so here's what will happen. You will give and you will give and you will prioritize your giving and you'll do all this stuff and then something will come up. Um, maybe a medical bill, maybe a car expense, maybe an opportunity for a vacation, I don't know. And God will make a way. He'll provide, he'll show up, and you'll be thankful for it, okay? You'll be like, wow, that was amazing. What a cool story. But the deeper reality will begin to set in. You'll have a concrete, real experience of God's love for you. And this will empower you to trust him more. So you're like, man, I did something with just this little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loosen my hands up on my stuff a little bit and, and maybe act like all of this is really the Lord's. And you'll, you'll give more and not just your stuff, but your time. Like, I don't know, you'll let someone borrow your car. You'll, you'll support a missionary. You'll give an extra stroller to a young couple at church. I don't, I don't know what it is. And then you'll get a new blessing, a new gift from God, which will be a deeper awareness of his particular love for you. You will only experience God as the one who provides for you, who pays attention to you, who meets your needs if you open up your hand on on your stuff and live in such a way that requires God to show up for you. And, And what will happen if you live this way is you will fall madly, deeply in love with God. And eventually you'll see that if if you have Jesus, you have enough. You'll find deep satisfaction and joy simply in knowing him. And and that's the real invitation here. Um, If you feel guilty right now, do not give a penny to this church, okay? Uh, That will not take your guilt away. Don't give because you feel guilty. Don't serve because you feel guilty. Don't don't feel guilty because you think God is upset with you. Uh, Give, hand your money over to the Lord because you want to know God and because you want to love God. Give because you want to be transformed. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you weren't so stressed out about money? (laughs) And if you want to experience that life, the the only way I know to do that is you got to start letting your money go. And one day, you'll be able to look at your stuff as what it is. It's stuff. It's good stuff. It's fun stuff. It's enjoyable stuff. God gives us our stuff to enjoy it and see that he loves us, and it's good. It's not sinful or wrong or bad, but it is stuff. And suddenly you'll find your passions, your energy, your hope, your creativity will be directed towards knowing God and the mission of God. You will become a schemer for his kingdom. You'll dream up ways to share the gospel, to reach people, to love people, to bless people, and you'll know God in ways that you couldn't believe. And we have such a clear picture of this in Jesus. So if you're like, well, what does, real, what does loving God really look like? Look at Jesus. Would we all agree he perfectly loved God? I would hope so. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to agree with that. Uh, Christians agree with that, though. God, Jesus perfectly loved God, and he gave up everything 
for Jesus. Have you ever thought about the creativity of the gospel? God was like, they won't listen to me. They haven't listened to my prophets. They haven't listened to my word. They haven't listened to all the ways I've revealed myself in creation. So I'm gonna go down. I'm I'm gonna be a human with them. But I'll start as a baby. Have you ever thought, do you ever sit down and think about that at Christmas? God became a baby, the most vulnerable, helpless form of life, a human baby. And he got a job. And he grew up and he, Jesus went through puberty and all this stuff. Have you ever thought about how clever Jesus was? That he, he would tell us stories to draw us in and invite us instead of just blowing us up and coming out with indictments? Have you ever wondered why he woos us far more than he commands us? Because Jesus is so much more interested in eternal realities relationship with you and our relationships with, with one another. So ultimately, he gives his most precious possession. I mean, he was homeless. He didn't know where his next meal was coming from. And he takes it even a step farther by giving his body and his blood for the sake of these eternal realities, our relationships with one another. His, his most precious possession, he let go into the hands of God for the sake of eternal realities, knowing God and life with God. And you know what that says? his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, it means you don't really have anything to be guilty about anymore. We don't have to give any, we have nothing to prove. We have no one to impress. We don't have to drum up some deal. Um, We don't give because we want that blessing that may come or that whatever. We give because we want to know God and and we want to know him and love him in a way that um, transformed Jesus where, you know, for the joy set before him, he could endure the cross. There was something that he wanted so badly that he was willing to lay it all down. And I promise you, Jesus isn't up in heaven sad or depressed or anxious or scared. And so that's the invitation for us um, to remember on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is what pays for your guilt. This is what covers over your failures. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, This is what makes you safe with God. It's my blood shed for you, and this never gets old. Um, It's not your giving that makes you safe with God. It's not your giving. It's not how you spend your stuff or your money that secures God's love for you. It's the blood of Jesus shed for you. And what Jesus is saying is if you want this reality to feel more real, you got to do more than just confess it. you got to do more than just acknowledge it. You have to get involved in it. And this is why he starts with our money so often. Uh, If you're here and you're not a Christian, what will you do with a God who loves you like this, um, who woos you when he could destroy you, who lays his own life down to save your life? Uh, How will you respond to that kind of love? We don't want to be a church that ever asks you for money. Um, we, We ask you to trust Jesus. And if you're here and you're a Christian, what's next for you? What's your next step of trusting God? Uh, and if you're anxious, if you're guilty, like be at peace, brother. Be at peace, sister. Come forward. Our tradition is to rip off a piece of bread and dip it in the wine or juice. Wine has a piece of twine wrapped around it. There's gluten-free to my left, your right. Um, it, this is in the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. In other words, you're not in trouble anymore. You know? There's, well, what if I don't give? Are you condemned? No, you're just missing out on life and missing out on the love of God and experiencing that. Uh, so may grace motivate you. Um, 
my, my prayer is that your imagination would be stirred with what could a life look like free from all this anxiety, all this concern, all this worry I have about my stuff. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, you can come forward and participate as you're ready. Let's pray.